Hello, everybody. Happy, happy Monday. Hope that you had a great weekend. Hope that uh, you enjoyed the fights. Yes, most of them were one-sided, at least the big events. But we did have an upset special. We had the, I think, robbery of the year. So we kind of ran the gamut last weekend, man. It was a good weekend of boxing. You got some really, really good, some really, really bad, as you always do in this sport. So uh, welcome, all of you, to uh, this live broadcast here. We usually do random Friday boxing chats. I thought it'd be fun to do a random Monday boxing chat and just talk about a few different subjects. Basically, what did we learn last weekend. Also, I wanted to hit on the International Boxing Hall of Fame class of 2021. I think I might be the only voter that did not post my ballot, here it is, on Twitter. I think I might be the only one. I, I don't know why everyone does that, but I um, I refrain from doing it, but I will talk about who I voted for here we're live on my YouTube channel. We're also live on Spreaker. So uh, subsequent to, to this video being completed, it will be distributed. The audio will be distributed on all the audio platforms. But I thought it might be fun to do this. Uh, you know, it's a holiday week, man. We got Christmas coming up. We got no fights, obviously, this weekend. No big fights anyway. But we got some stuff to look forward to the following weekend, right around New Year's, a couple of good, good fights. So TNC will be back next Monday. We will do year-end awards. I'll talk about my best of 2020. Uh, and some will be the worst of 2020, depending on the award. Uh, we'll have some fun with that. And then we'll preview the fights coming up next weekend, okay? But let's get right into this, man. So, so last weekend, uh, we had on Friday night, Gennady Golovkin beating uh, Camille Zermeda. And that was obviously a complete, you know, domination, a one-sided showcase fight for Gennady. And a lot of people are hating on Triple G. I don't really understand that. If you're going to hate on anybody, hate on the IBF. They are who made him, uh, Zermeda, as a mandatory. Golovkin was doing his thing and just getting that guy out of there. And then on Saturday, we had Canelo Alvarez uh, being... Every bit as dominant as Triple G was with Zermeda. He was doing that against Callum Smith, a better fighter than Zermeda, obviously. And there was a huge size disadvantage. Yes, he didn't drop and stop Zermeda the way Triple G did. But it was still pretty damn impressive what Canelo did. So, um, and by the way, guys, I should mention, I, I got the phone lines open. So if you want to call in in the United States, it's toll-free, 213 267 7787. If you're over in the UK, it's 020-810-36051. All right. So um, other than that, if you want to get here on the chat here on YouTube, let me make sure that is up and running. And I got all your guys' chats here. Sometimes they only post the top comments. I don't know why it does that. So I want to make sure I got the live chat up. Okay. Andrew Smith in the chat says, Canelo makes Ireland proud. I love it. Yeah, that is an Irish-looking dude, either Irish or German. I, I don't know. But um, anyway, let's talk about Canelo because I will admit, you, you, look, sometimes I'm hard on Canelo, and some people see me as a Canelo detractor. I'm really, really not. It's just that you guys know I always talk about what I call the business behind the business. And Canelo Alvarez has become the new Floyd Mayweather. He's the Floyd Mayweather of this generation, not just because he's the top money man like Floyd was, but he's become the best businessman. 
And he's he takes advantage of opportunistic situations where he can pluck a title at this weight, pluck a title at that weight, grab all these belts. And now, even more so than in Floyd's era, there's even more belts, right? Because the WBA splits their shit up three different ways in each division. Now the WBC is starting to do that. So there are even more opportunities for A-sides, quote-unquote, like Canelo, who is the A-side of A-sides in this sport, to run around to different weights plucking titles. And it looks good to his fan base. It looks good to the casual fan base that doesn't understand, as I call it, the business behind the business. But when I talk about that stuff and I talk about the fine print, the gray area, some people take that as me hating on Canelo. That's not the case. It's just I want to talk about the good, the bad, the ugly, all of it. I don't think I just don't want to do nothing but puff pieces. Okay. Uh, super chat pledge from Trent Nam Peril. What's up, Trent? Good to see you in the chat, man. Thank you for the super chat. He says, uh, Bully Beck versus Kovalev, I'm in heaven. Yeah, guys. Uh, that is a great fight coming up for Beck. I don't know if that's a great fight for Kovalev. That fight's coming up early next year. Awesome mass matchmaking by Beck the Bully's team and Golden Boy Promotions, who represents him, throwing him in there with a big name in Kovalev. But at this stage, man, where Kovalev is, that's going to get ugly. I expect a big statement performance from Beck the Bully in that fight. Anyway, Trent says, uh, who you got, Mike? Uh, Baturbiev. Or Melikuziev, uh, I like Peterviev. And he says, uh, Canelo, Melikuziev, I like Canelo. Just experience at this point, brother. Uh, Bully Beck, plus 230 amateur KOs, amateur world champion at 178. Yeah, man. So so obviously I like Beck over Kovalev. I think it's going to stop him. And I think it's going to be rather brutal. I think Kovalev is going to have one last stand in those early rounds. All that experience, all that toughness, and the power He's going to put it on in the early rounds, but I just think Beck is uh, just, I really think he's the goods, and I expect him to stop Kovalev in the middle to late rounds of that fight. All things being considered, though, what is he, six fights into his pro career, six, seven fights in? What a hell of a name for him to fight at this stage. Uh, I wish more prospects had his attitude, man. Another Super Chat pledge from Unrivaled Boxing Talk. What's up, my man Mark? Good to see you in the chat. I haven't seen you in a while, man. He says, uh, have a holly jolly Christmas. Hell yeah, everybody. Have a great Christmas. You guys know it's going to be a tough Christmas for me and my family. But um, I'm happy that uh, my family is going to come down here to Atlanta. Uh, My sister, her husband, and my little nephew, Luca, who's going to turn two next month. It's a tiny little nugget. Right now, and he's just, he's really at that age where he's a lot of fun, man. I can't wait to teach him how to box. They're coming down, and my mom and dad are coming down and staying with me and Tiffany at our house. So I'm really excited for that. Although, with the recent loss of my brother, it's going to be tough. I, I will admit, last night I was watching a movie about three brothers, and the younger brother died. I'm not even getting the details on this, but the younger brother died, and the older brother tried to help him and couldn't save him. I had to turn the damn TV off. I had to turn the damn TV off, and I just had to go outside. It was like 30 degrees outside. I went outside for like an hour and just breathed. So it's still raw, and it's still rough. Anyway, sorry, guys, tangent, back to boxing. I apologize for that. Um, With Canelo, the reason why I I talk about the good, the bad, the ugly is because it's all part of the equation, right? So let's talk about the good with Canelo. 
I think based on not only this performance against Callum Smith, and really quickly, Callum Smith was the number one rated super middleweight in the world. Yes. He had the Ring Magazine super middleweight title. Yes. Does that mean he was the best super middleweight in the world going into this fight? No. And I've been pretty consistent on this. Go back and look at the track record on my show. I've talked about the fact that Caleb Plant, David Benavidez, Billy Joe Saunders, Callum Smith, all kind of right there in the same place, all still crazy unproven. But let's be honest, guys, Callum Smith beating George Groves, is that any better than uh, David Benavidez beating Ronald Graville, Graville or um, Ka- uh, Caleb Plant beating Jose Uzcatagai? Or even Billy Joe Sanders beating the version of David Lemieux that he beat. All of these guys are kind of unproven and in the same territory, right? So, um, but I do give Callum Smith the credit for going through the tournament and beating George Groves when he beat him, how he beat him. I do think he should have been rated number one at the time. However, based on everything we've seen, I think he lost to John Ryder. And I don't know if John Ryder is a top 10 super middleweight. All I'm saying is Canelo Alvarez beating Callum Smith the way he did with such a huge height uh, and reach disadvantage, natural strength disadvantage. Although, I I don't know, man, Canelo might be every bit as strong uh, and even pound for pound definitely stronger than Callum Smith. If they had a weightlifting competition, it wouldn't surprise me if Canelo could squat, bench, and deadlift more than Callum Smith. It really, really wouldn't. So I don't know if there was a strength disadvantage, but obviously a height uh, and length disadvantage. The way he beat Smith, the way he did it, very, very impressive. Pound for pound level performance. However, and it, it, it does make Canelo Alvarez the champion at 168. He's the number one guy, the champion. But is that the best challenge for him right now at 168? I don't think so. I personally believe, and it's only based on the eye test. It's not based on anything they've proven in the ring. But I think that Billy Joe Sanders is just a little bit better than Callum Smith. And I think Caleb Plant and especially Benavidez are better than Callum Smith. And Dimitri Bevel, who's been telling me personally for two years now, him and his team have been telling me and several others, that they'd be willing to move down to 168. I think Dimitri Bevel is better than all of them. I think he's more proven. I think Bevel's wins over Joe Smith last year and his win over uh, Jean Pascal in recent years have aged extremely well. Look at what Pascal did in recent fights. Look at what Joe Smith has done in recent fights. I think Dimitri Bevel, maybe he doesn't beat Artur Beterbiev, but he's number two. And if he would move down right now to 168, I think Bevel's better than all these guys I just named. I really do. So I want to see Canelo fight one of those guys. Actually, I want to see him fight all of them. And I think at some point he's going to get around to fighting most of them, okay? So I say all this because is 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 for all the talk of Smith not being a very good fighter, he's not an elite-level fighter, he lost to John Ryder, he shouldn't have been undefeated coming in. This was opportunistic matchmaking from Canelo. Still, still... I think Canelo is pound for pound the number one fighter in the world right now. I don't see how you can't rate Canelo Alvarez right now on this day at the end of 2020, the number one pound for pound fighter. And I say that because 
you Canelo detractors, there are Canelo haters out there that just won't give the dude any credit, okay? So I want to talk to you guys as much as the Canelo fans right now. Hear me out, okay? You guys know I'm nuanced and, and, and methodical with the way I break this shit down, all right? I don't act in haste with this stuff. At least I try not to. We all make mistakes. But, man, I recognize Canelo Alvarez tested positive for clenbuterol with not one but two different samples. I recognize that he has benefited from favorable scorecards, including even in his fight with Floyd Mayweather. One judge somehow had that shit a draw. It was a shutout win for Floyd. I, re- I recognize that Canelo is the establishment and he has, uh, as the establishment, gotten gifts against uh, Gennady Golovkin in their first fight in 2017. I recognize that he has benefited from selective opportunistic matchmaking. I recognize all of those things. However, 2018, 2019, 2020, what other fighter has done more in this sport? You can't name one. You, you can't. Regardless, I, I you guys know how I feel about the first fight between Canelo and Golovkin. I feel that that was a clear win for Golovkin. I don't see how anybody could even have that fight a draw. You have to be a ridiculous Golovkin hater or you know an LDBC guy or something to have that fight even a draw. Okay, But I'm talking 2018 forward. Regardless of who you feel won the second fight, and I think you can make a legitimate case either way or for a draw, okay? That was a close fight. You have to admit, Canelo showed impressive improvement in that second fight. And then he beats, uh, who cares about the Rocky Fielding fight, but he beats Danny Jacobs at 160, right? And then he beats, I get it, Sergey Kovalev was coming off a brutal fight. He was washed up. He had been stopped multiple times. Uh, he needed more than six weeks rest after having that brutal fight with Anthony Yard. I get all of that, guys. It was still a decent, solid win for uh, Canelo. And then what he just did against Callum Smith, the way he did it, I can't think of another fighter, including Golovkin, who in the last Two to three years, 2018, 2019, 2020, has done more than Canelo Alvarez in a pound-for-pound pound sense. Now, some of you guys are saying Nayoya Inouye. John Newman in the chat, Nayoya Inouye. Uh, Kouster says the same thing. I hear you, okay? I even shade Canelo over Inouye, me personally, right, right now, today, just because of everything I just said. Now, if you have in a way number one or somebody else, look, I, I'm not mad at you. That's your prerogative. These things are all subjective, okay? So I ain't mad at you if you have in a way. I just think the overall body of work, even if let's say you you felt Canelo lost the second fight to Golovkin, which you guys you guys know, I scored at 115-113 for Golovkin. That means I thought that Canelo Alvarez won five rounds against the best middleweight in the world at the time and arguably the best fighter pound for pound in boxing at the time. He was certainly in the top two or three, that being Golovkin. So winning five rounds against Golovkin, maybe six rounds, and then going on to beat Jacobs, a washed-up Kovalev, but it's still Kovalev. And at the time he fought Kovalev, was Kovalev the best light heavyweight in the world? No, but he was a top five. Same thing with Callum Smith. Maybe not the best at 168, but the top five, okay? That's pound-for-pound shit. So so right now, this day, Canelo's pound-for-pound number one. That's why I'm rocking the Canelo cap right now. 
And I know that's going to piss off some of you because being the top guy in the sport comes with haters. And Canelo has a bunch of them. Canelo hasn't... Um, Canelo's made it easy for the haters. I'll put it that way, okay? Because of the clambuterol situation, the Mexican beef. Um, instead of just owning that and saying, hey, man, I screwed up, he, he blamed it on beef, right? There, it was an excuse. And then he did vital testing for a year, but he stopped doing it after that. And so we don't know what's going on in between fights when he does do vital testing for the fight. We don't know what's going on in between. I get it. He makes it easy for, for the haters. But... The guy deserves some credit at the same time. And you can talk about the good and the bad. You can talk about the bad and the good. You don't have to be one-sided with it. And that's a problem in our society these days. Uh, Look at politics, man. Everything's one-sided. Can't people see good and bad on both sides of the fence? That's all I'm saying with Canelo, man. He deserves some credit. Okay, we got a couple more Super Chat pledges Oh, my man, Johnny in the house. Johnny's Fight Palettes. Thank you so much for the super chat by Zan. He says, I hope you and the family have a wonderful holidays. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot, man. I appreciate that so much. And then Trent Nonpareil, Beck versus Beevil, who you got. Thank you, Trent, for the super chat. And um, Johnny, we got to get you on the show one of these times, by the way. Trent Nonpareil says, Beck versus Beevil, who you got. Bully Beck says he wants anyone 168 to 175. Kind of like Love can call out everyone from 54 to 50 uh, to 68 after he beat Proxa on his HBO debut. Beck is not ready for Bevel, okay? Bevel, Kovalev, two different levels right now. So Kovalev, cool. Let's see that fight play out. If he were to fight Bevel right now, Bevel has more experience. I'd, I'd favor Bevel. That's a little too, too much, too soon, okay? Let's fight Kovalev. Let's see how he looks in that fight. I expect a statement performance. And then let's evaluate. Uh, Bevel, though, man, milk carton. Guys, remember where they put, uh, I don't know if they still do this, where they have, um, like, missing people on the on the milk carton? That's Dimitri Bevel right now. And it's a shame because he's a damn good fighter. Damn good fighter. All right, let's talk about Triple G real quick. Um, Gennady Golovkin. So, again, he got criticized for beating Zermeta. Um, I don't understand that. It was his mandatory. Be mad at the IBF. Don't be mad at Golovkin. He also didn't get paid $15 million or whatever it was uh, from the zone. That guaranteed amount, they shaved that big time. I don't even think it counts against his contract as one of his four remaining fights. So it, it was what it was, guys. Uh, in this year of COVID and everything that took place, look, I've told you guys, if you if you watch my show, I've been talking about this all year. They wanted to do that Zermeta fight in Chicago Early this year, I think in like uh, February, they were going to do that. And then COVID blew everything up, okay? There were, I think, some nagging injuries and then COVID. So don't be mad at the player. Be mad at the game in that respect. But a lot of people were out there. Now, now some people are saying Golovkin's back and he looks better than ever. I think those people are wrong. But then there's other people saying Golovkin looks washed up and, you know, the the next top fighter he faces is going to get knocked out. I think those people are wrong. The truth is Golovkin looks like any natural fighter, any natural athlete that's had nearly 400 fights in his entire career, guys. Nearly 400 fights, man. Think of all those rounds of sparring, preparing for those nearly 400 fights. Dude's, what, 38, almost 39 years old. He looks the way he should look at this point. In fact, I think, you know, they brought on a nutritionist. They brought on, I think, like a dietitian, strength and conditioning uh, people, and it's helping him. He looks, I thought he looked great as far as his, his physique for this fight. 
He looked like he had uh, good stamina. He's had some stamina issues in a couple of his last fights. I think that there were some distractions and some things outside of camp that weren't working in his favor. I know for sure there were in the Canelo rematch. It's something that hasn't been talked about publicly. I think it will be once Golovkin retires. But um, all things being said, I thought he looked good in this fight. But does this mean that it's the Golovkin of 2013, 2014? No, it's not. Those days are over. And I thought about this immediately after the fight. You know, um, I'm very fortunate. This is something I've talked about before. So I'm sorry if some of you guys have already heard me talk about this. But I'm very fortunate to have been around for the Golovkin ride. From 2012, when he hit the scene here in America, through like 2017, 2018, he was, I I don't know how you could say he wasn't, the most exciting bang for your buck, the, the most exciting traveling act in the sport, right? Whether he was fighting in New York, LA, or uh, or in Vegas, and no matter who he was fighting, whether it was guys like Proxa and Rubio or guys like Jacobs and Canelo, um, man, th- that dude, that ride was awesome. I, I came on the beat just after the rise of Manny Pacquiao, which, which took place in the 2000s, right? Uh, his rise, his meteoric rise was like the mid to late 2000s. Like let's say 2005 to 2010, 2011, right there. And I got started on the beat in 2010. So even though I was in LA 2009, 2010, I wasn't really on the scene in a big way yet. I was still getting started. And I, I kind of missed that wave. By the time I had built myself up in the in the scene, Pacquiao was on his downside. Man, by 2012, 2013, that was Pacquiao was on the downside of his career, which is crazy when you consider he's still fighting at a pretty damn high level. Um, I wouldn't call him an elite level fighter at this point. I think his win over Thurman was awesome, but I think Thurman's always been a tad overrated. Anyway, that's a different story. I just missed that wave, right? But the next one was Golovkin. And and maybe now this next one's going to be Teofimo Lopez. He might be the next guy that we're looking at. Like, damn, dude, just being around this dude and watching his rise, this wave is awesome. So for Golovkin, it's almost like you think about, like, your favorite band. You know, whatever, whatever music you're into. Your favorite band, your favorite group. If you watch their rise, you know, watch them go from, like, an underground group that's playing at some bar in front of 100 people to selling out stadiums, you know, selling out arenas with 30,000 people. That's kind of how it is with fighters, you know. And I was on the ground floor with Golovkin and his crew as that whole thing happened. And now he's on the downside. He has been since probably 2017-ish, somewhere in there. He's been, 2017, 2018 is when he really started I would say 2017, actually. That, that's that's kind of just when it started, which is natural, man. By then, he was in his mid-30s uh, going into his late 30s. That's how it's supposed to work, right, particularly for a middleweight. It's not the same like with heavyweights. But um, so, so, so the glory days are over. And there's two sides of this because as a – as a, an observer of boxing and someone who's been around it and understands all the the difficulties of this sport, it's awesome to see a guy coming from where Golovkin comes from and what he's been through. And again, there's a lot of things I know that 
really the public doesn't know a whole lot about that I think will come out years from now when he's long retired and they're writing books about him and making movies about him and stuff. But knowing some of that stuff of what he's come from and what he's been through, to become a part of the boxing establishment, that's awesome to see. Because if you get to that point, you are the top 1% of the top 1% in a 1%er business. That's what boxing is. It's capitalism on steroids, right? So when you reach that level of achievement, and you do that coming from a third world country, and you had to reinvent yourself at 30, you know, for the second or third time in your career, that's amazing. So, so I love seeing that. But the flip side of that, me being a boxing fan, is that now that he is the establishment, everything Gennady does is a business. Every decision he makes, everything's calculated and methodical. He is no longer the killer in 2012, 2013, who really would fight anybody. People don't understand the concessions that were made during that time in his career just to get dudes in the ring. Uh, He was absolutely the most ducked and avoided fighter in the sport for three, four years. And dude was barely covering costs in championship fights for a while. So so, um, he's no longer that guy. He's paid his dues, he's become part of the establishment, and now he is every bit the businessman as people like Canelo Alvarez, Mikey Garcia, Floyd Mayweather, these types of guys. It just is what it is. So there's good and there's bad, depending on how you look at it, okay? But is Golovkin shot? No. Is he prime? No. Does that mean that I would favor him to lose against people like Charlo, Andrade? I'm not saying that. I don't know how I'd uh, judge those fights yet. A lot of it would depend on who, what, when, where, why. If those fights come together, we'll talk about them then. Uh, but, guys, business of boxing, just talking from that perspective, I'm telling you, don't shoot the messenger because I know a lot of you got fatigue on it, but you could see a third fight between Canelo and Golovkin at like 164 or something like that next year. You could because here's how everybody saves face. If they do it at a catch weight of like 165, whatever, if Golovkin loses, he keeps his middleweight belt. Uh, So I think that's the way it might be worked out, but it's still the biggest fight. All the fighters I've mentioned, uh, Charlo, Andre, Saunders, Plant, Benavidez, who else? Bevel, Baturbiev, let's throw him in there, Saunders, all these dudes. The biggest fight that could be made between any of them is still a third fight between Canelo and Golovkin. It's still going to move the needle with casual fans. It's going to drive subscribers on the zone. I'm telling you guys, it could happen. Uh, and by the way, I'm including Jaime Munguia. Does that mean I necessarily want to see it? No, I'm kind of burnt out on it, just like you guys are. I'd rather see them go different directions. But I'm just telling you, it's very possible we get that third fight, man. But I don't think Golovkin's shot like people are saying do i think that char like people on twitter are saying charlo knocks him out canelo's gonna knock him out if they do a third fight etc etc are you people not forgetting this dude's had almost 400 fights and he's never been hurt he's never been knocked down ever the closest we saw was against sergey derevyanchenko he got stung to the body in that fight and that was not a 100 percent version of golovkin uh, he was a little softer in that fight than he was last Friday. So 
Um, yeah, am I buying into that, that suddenly now he's going to be stopped the next time he steps up? I think that's crazy talk, man. I just do. All right, we got several Super Chats here, guys. Thank you so much. Super Chat from John Newman. Thanks again, man. He says, uh, peace and lo- peace to you and yours, Mike. I got back over Kovalev, but not over Bivol. Totally agree. He says, I got no one over Baturbiev until he shows his age. Triple G, still big drama. Yeah, I agree with you with Baturbiev, man. And I'll say this. Um, I'm not trying to be overly critical of Canelo. I, I don't blame him for not wanting to fight Baturbiev. Why the hell would you, okay? That's the last dude he needs to fight out of all these people I'm mentioning, okay? Because obviously that's the biggest challenge and it's two divisions over his natural weight right now. So I think it's a bit ridiculous if people are out there saying, I ain't going to make him pound for pound number one until he beats Baturbiev. Guys, come on now. That's too much. Would I love to see it? Of course I'd love to see it. But all I'm saying is I'm not going to rate Canelo as the legitimate champion at 75 for beating Kovalev when he did. That's all. I'm not going to rate him for that win. I I think um, some people overrate that victory. But I think that uh, if, if he fights guys like Benavidez, Plant, even Saunders, um, maybe it's Golovkin again, maybe it's Charlo, Andre, Bevel, all those guys, any of those guys, I, I welcome any of those fights. If it's really anybody other than those names I just mentioned, I'm just not going to be interested. And by the way, I got to say the same thing about Golovkin. Steve rolls, and then he fights um, Derevyanchenko, good fight, and then it's Zermeda. Look, man, it's time for him to step back up. I want to see Golovkin's next fight against the top guy. If he fights Jaime Munguia in his first fight of 2021, I don't rate Jaime Munguia as an elite-level fighter, but he is young, strong as hell, undefeated. He's maybe a top-five middleweight. He's right, right around there. So I would welcome that fight, but I still want to see Gennady in there with a top proven fighter whether you know Saunders I guess especially at 68 would be a challenge for him Charlo um Andre those would be good fights I want to see those fights for for Golovkin in 2021 Captain Hook Chronicles with the super chat thank you so much he says pugilism is art some writers write wrote masterpiece on drugs that's a good point uh, a lot of writers, a lot of uh, musicians, actors, shit, even politicians, leaders. So he says, but the the book rest, the book rest as a masterpiece. Oh, but the book rests as a masterpiece. I see what you're saying. A lot of writers do stuff on drugs, but years later, people don't remember that. They remember the masterpiece work of art. He says, same for Canelo. What he has done in the ring will stay. That's a good point. That is a good point. Look, man. Tyson Fury tested positive for drugs, guys. And a lot of you guys are huge fans of Tyson Fury. A lot of the same people that give Canelo Alvarez shit are huge fans of Tyson Fury. A lot of you guys that give Canelo Alvarez shit are huge fans of James Tony and thought he should have been elected into the International Boxing Hall of Fame this year. Uh, so you got to be consistent. Got to be consistent. For me... I'm cool with somebody who tests positive in a period of time and then learns from their mistakes and doesn't repeat it. We deserve second chances in life. Yeah, we deserve third and fourth chances. But for somebody like Jarrell Big Baby Miller, that dude does not 
he should not be allowed in a boxing ring again, should not be allowed in a high-profile televised match ever again. He's a career offender, right? So that's different. That's much different than what we saw with Canelo, Tyson Fury, guys like that. So, so I, I think we, you got to keep the details in perspective, man. All right, let's see. We got some more Super Chats. Oh, no, I think I'm caught up. No, I'm not. We do have more Super Chats. Okay, here we go. Uh, Charles Oldhouse, Super Chat Pledge. Thank you so much, Charles. He says, good to see you back on the horse. Canelo definitely looked great, likely juicing aside. It really goes to show how great Triple G is, don't you think? And Canelo has clear insecurity there off his interview. Great point, Charles. And this is something that I wanted to get to in this chat, too. You guys got some great stuff today in the chat, man. I tweeted something. I tweeted a few things this weekend that really triggered some people. Really, really triggered some people. And one of the things I tweeted was, look, man, after his fight with Mayweather in 2013, which he clearly lost, obviously, and then a really close fight with Irislandi Lara in 2014, which I was ringside for, which I felt Canelo pulled out. I thought Canelo in the championship rounds grinded out a close points win, maybe one or two points. Uh, that was a very close fight, but I thought he beat Lara. Anyway, since those two fights, 2013-2014, no other fighter, no other opponent for Canelo Alvarez has likely beat him or um, befuddled him, backed him up, visibly hurt him, pushed him back, any of that, other than Gennady Golovkin. All the fighters that I can bring up, all the names I can mention that Canelo has fought from 154 to 175, the only person to really put it on him in the two fights they had was Gennady Golovkin. And I wasn't saying that to slob all over Triple G as I got accused of by some of the Canelo fans. I was saying that to show that, man, those two fights are going to age well for Golovkin, even though he didn't technically get the decision. Even getting a draw with Canelo in the first fight, which is ridiculous, it, that's going to age very, very well because Canelo is the number one pound-for-pound pound guy right now. And people forget, man, when Golovkin fought him, I think in the second fight, I think he was like 36. I think he was 36 years old. That's the age Floyd was when he fought Canelo. And Floyd got all this credit for fighting this guy when he was, oh, he was 36 years old. But right, So was Golovkin when he fought Canelo. And he fought a prime Canelo at his physical, mental, emotional best fully developed as a fighter, not the version of Canelo that Floyd fought. And I find it very interesting that Floyd got all this credit for fighting Canelo when he was 36. Triple G gets no credit for fighting him at 36. And it just, that nuance is lost on some people. All I was trying to say in my tweet was, man, it shows you how good of a fighter Triple G is and how good of a fighter Canelo Alvarez is. But it's almost like when you look at Tiafimo Lopez now, and you look at that win he had over Nakatani. Man, people were bashing Lopez in that fight. They were saying he got exposed. Do you guys remember that shit? People have short memories. People were saying that Teofimo Lopez got exposed against Nakatani, a fight that he dominated. But it, he didn't blow him out, but he dominated. He won clearly on the cards, right? Now that win looks really, really good for Teofimo Lopez. It aged very well. I mentioned earlier in this video, Dimitri Bivol, his win over Joe Smith. People are like, oh, this is boring. 
oh, this is boring, whatever. He dominated Joe Smith. Look at what Joe Smith just did in his last fight. Guys, next year, Joe Smith is going to fight for the vacant WBO light heavyweight title. Guess what? He's going to win. And he's going to fight a unification match with Artur Viterbiev to determine the legitimate, undisputed 175-pound champion. Holy shit, sign me up for that. How good does that win look now for Dimitri Bivol? So sometimes a win, a loss, a draw, whatever, depending on how you perform, can age very well and make you look better in hindsight. And that's all I was trying to say. Great point, Charles. Another super chat pledge from Dr. Repper. Thank you so much. He says, Triple G is definitely past his best, but he's still as hard as hell. And on Friday, looked terrific. Canelo Trilogy, please. He's the only chin who can hack it. There you go, guys. And that's why I think you're probably going to get that third fight next year. And I think that business of boxing will have its way. You're going to get that big fight. zone needs it. They want it. They're going to pay big money for it. And from Golovkin's side, they're going to want it north of 160 so that they can keep their middleweight title if they come up short. I think that's probably what you're going to see. Canelo's not going to want to drain all the way down to 160 for a third fight with Triple G. That's just what I see happening. All right, I think I'm caught up now on the Super Chat pledges. So I want to get to this International Boxing Hall of Fame. And once again, there it is. My, uh, this is a copy of my ballot because you actually have to sign your ballot, the original, and send it in. And there are actually, people only tweet the one for the moderns, men, men category. But look, we have them for a bunch of them. So here's the women's category, and there's, um, there's several others that we vote out. So there's actually several forms you receive in the mail from the Boxing Writers Association of America, uh, well, actually from the hall, I should say. As a member of the BWA, that's how I vote. But anyway, um, on the ballot here, the way this works, guys, for the modern men's category, three have to get elected. You, you have to vote for, um, uh, you can vote for up to five fighters, but you are not required to vote for five fighters. That's the way this works, okay? So you can vote for five. You can only vote for two or three if you want. That's how it works. And I think you have to get over 80% of the total vote from everybody to get in. So the way it worked out this year is the three guys who got over 80% of the vote were no-brainers. Vladimir Klitschko, Floyd Mayweather Jr., Andre Ward. Immediately when I got my ballot, I checked those three. And I was going to just send it in with those three. And then I said, you know what? Let me sleep on it. And I slept on it for a day or two. And then I checked Miguel Cotto. And then I slept on it for another day. Then I checked James Tony, And that was my five. And I sent it out. So let me tell you about my process here. And if you guys don't give a shit, just tell me and I'll skip over this. But because there was a lot of controversy that Cotto didn't get in. And a lot of people didn't like that Tony didn't get in. I want the record to reflect I voted for them. And even though Tony had multiple performance-enhancing drug uh, tests that come back, came back positive in his career, I still voted for him. And I, some of you may see me as being a hypocrite, but I'll explain why I did that. First, let me start with the three no-brainers, the guys that I voted for right away. Floyd Mayweather, Vladimir Klitschko, Andre Ward. Now, some of you, I don't think anyone would deny Floyd Mayweather, right? 
Okay, he's in. First ballot, boom. Some people didn't like voting for Vladimir Klitschko, and I know several people in the BWAA that did not vote for him. I find that so hard to believe. That's crazy. People will say, well, he lost to Lehman Brewster, Corey Sanders, Ross Pierre. Who gives a shit? Stop judging fighters based solely on their losses. Stop judging fighters based solely on their style. Judge them by their accomplishments, including coming back from a loss, coming back from multiple losses. Throughout the history of boxing, I can't tell you how many damn fighters came back from multiple losses, bad losses, embarrassing losses, and turned out to have all-time great careers. It's okay, guys. We got to get over this stigma in boxing over losses, especially for heavyweights. So I just think it's hard for people to visually see such a big, built, strong-looking guy like uh, like Klitschko lose by knockout. I think it, it messes with people's senses. It's the same thing with Anthony Joshua. When they saw Andy Ruiz beat him, they're like, what? And years from now, that loss is going to be held against Anthony Joshua the way the Corey Sanders loss and the Lehman Brewster loss are held against Klitschko. I just think it's stupid. But anyway, Vlad came back and ran the division for a decade. A lot of people out there like his brother Vitaly better. They liked Vitaly's style better. That's fine. But when you look at accomplishments, they're on completely different levels. Vladimir Klitschko accomplished 10 times more than Vitaly ever did. That's the truth. And I'm a huge fan. I was a huge fan of Vitaly back in the day. It's just the truth, guys. Maybe he didn't like his style. Maybe he didn't like that he took some losses. But he had almost 70 fights as a professional heavyweight. That doesn't happen very often anymore. Contrast that to somebody like Andre Ward, who had about half as many fights. You're going to see a lot more careers like Andre Ward's in this era. So just to see a heavyweight that fought nearly 70 fights, ran the division as a big guy where one punch can change it. I don't care if you're fighting in a weak era or not. Dominating the heavyweight division for 10 years and doing it without performance-enhancing drugs in the era of performance-enhancing drugs, and doing it with no political advantages. Klitschko was an outsider. The Klitschkos came in to this country and on the big global scene in heavyweight boxing as outsiders. They started with a German promotion. They sued them, went out, and started to um, promote themselves. And they did this in an era at the beginning where Don King completely ran the heavyweight division. Al Heyman had a piece in it. The German promoters had a piece in it. So as an outsider, this dude was able to manage his career and get everybody in the ring who was willing to fight him and run the division for a decade. That's first ballot Hall of Fame shit. I don't care if you lost to Ross Purity or not. Look at the guys he beat, who I do think a lot of Klitschko's wins are underrated. Okay, Andre Ward. Now, I don't give a shit that Andre Ward got a gift against Sergey Kovalev in their first fight. I don't give a shit that he spent three years of his career sitting on his ass. I, I do think that his career, he had advantageous matchmaking. Every road was paved with gold for him. He never had to leave America. He never had to fight as a B-side. Andre Ward had, he was extraordinarily privileged as an American prize fighter. Had everything laid out for him. I understand all of that. He's still a first ballot Hall of Famer. The last American male to win a gold medal in the Olympics, and his gold medal was legit. It's not like he got a gift or anything. He legitimately won the gold uh, when he went to the Olympics. 
And then he legitimately won the World Boxing Super Series. Now, would I have preferred him to travel at least once and have to go over to the UK or Germany or something once during the tournament? Yes. But I think that beating Carl Frotch the way he did, beating Sergei Kovalev the way he did in the rematch, that was enough for me to vote for Andre Ward. You guys know, not the hugest Andre Ward fan, but those credentials alone in this era warrant Hall of Fame consideration. Now, if this was the 1990s and we had some more loaded ballots, then yeah, I probably wouldn't have voted for Ward the same way. But guys, I'm looking I'm looking at the names here, okay? Over Miguel Cotto, yes, I voted for Andre Ward. Again, I I I thought he lost the first fight to Kovalev. Who gives a shit, okay? I don't rate losses the way some of you guys do. Even if he officially lost that fight and then came back and beat Kovalev the way he did, I still would vote for him. Um, He did this as a clean fighter. He never used performance-enhancing drugs. I take that into consideration. Um, The Olympic, you guys know that I take amateur careers very seriously. And I, I think amateur accomplishments matter. Vladimir Klitschko winning gold. Andre Ward winning gold. Those those credentials matter in your overall boxing resume. Some people overlook that stuff. So that's why I voted for Andre Ward over Miguel Cotto and James Tomey. Now, let's talk about Cotto briefly. The reason why I voted for Cotto, and a lot of people, some people out there didn't vote for him, and they just felt he wasn't a great fighter. I thought he was a pretty damn good fighter. He just happened to fight in an era with two guys named Mayweather and Pacquiao, who are all-time greats. And Cotto was not on that level, but he was an elite level fighter. He was a highly accomplished amateur, and he accomplished a lot in the sport from 140. And let's not forget, man, he went all the way to 60. And yes, he fought Sergio Martinez, who was busted up. He wasn't 100%. He was fighting on one leg. I get all that, guys. But did Floyd Mayweather want to fight Martinez? He avoided that dude's name like the plague. Even Andre Ward was asked briefly, hey, man, would you try to melt down to like 164 and do a fight with Martinez? And he said, nah, I'm not going to kill myself, uh, go down to that weight for that fight. It's not like people were lining up to fight Sergio, especially after he did what he did to Paul Williams. And Cotto moved up and fought him. And then he fought Canelo Alvarez. We didn't have to. He went all 12 with Canelo and maybe won four rounds of that fight. So all things considered, That's a Hall of Fame career. Even if he came up short in most of his big fights, he's one of those guys that fought everybody and was always competitive. Went to distance with Floyd, prime Floyd. Went to distance with Canelo, prime Canelo. Uh, The only guy that really stopped him and made him look really bad was Pacquiao. Pacquiao was a special fighter at that time. So uh, Cotto gets in, but I can't put Cotto above Andre Ward, okay? And that might piss some of you guys off. I understand that. But overall, Andre Ward going into World Boxing Super Series tournament, um, look, again, he had the easiest schedule in that tournament. His promoter did an outstanding job for him. I get all that, but he still went in the damn tournament. If we're going to give Callum Smith credit, and call him the ring champion, right? There's a lot of people that said Callum Smith deserved credit for going in the tournament. Callum Smith, he he didn't fight the level of opposition that Andre Ward did in his tournament. 
He deserves credit for that, guys. And then beating Sergei Kovalev in the rematch, was that 100% Kovalev? Was there politics at play behind the scenes? Yes, I get it. I get all that. Still, Olympic gold medal, uh, beats Karl Frotch, beats Sergei Kovalev in the rematch, goes one and one with Kovalev, who I think will get in the Hall of Fame possibly one day, uh, was the best light heavyweight in the world, deserves credit. And look what Karl Frotch went on to do after losing to Andre Ward. That matters too. That matters too. Uh, so, so he gets in in front of Kodo. Kodo gets in, in my opinion, in front of James Tony. Now, had James Tony never used performance enhancing drugs, and he did multiple times, he was busted multiple times, okay? He became, in my opinion, a serial user. Um, and I, can, I only base that based on conjecture things I've heard from people in camp uh, that were around the gyms and from multiple positive tests. Had James Tony fought clean his entire career, even with some of his bad, embarrassing losses, he would have got in before Andre Ward and before Miguel Cotto. Would have came up second or behind Floyd and, and Vlad, but he would have came in in front of those other guys. But because of the performance-enhancing drugs and the way his career ended, he gets in after those guys, in my opinion. And I see some of you guys in the chat talking about Ricardo Martinez, talking about Floyd, illegal IV. I get it, man. He did have the illegal IV. Uh, I, I do think Floyd bent the rules. He benefited from selective opportunistic matchmaking, all that stuff. I understand. That's all part of it. But Floyd's career, how could you not vote for him first ballot Hall of Fame, guys? I think Floyd is overrated as an all-time great. I think some of his fans are um, just ignorant and don't have a historical perspective on the sport. I don't put Floyd anywhere near the top 20 all-time. I just don't. He's not on that level uh, based on his accomplishments. But based on his accomplishments, he is no just a no-brainer first ballot Hall of Fame. You have to put him there. And we'll see how his resume ages years from now. But depending on what Manny Pacquiao does in 2021, let's say Pacquiao and Spence fight. I obviously favor Spence big in that fight, okay? But let's say somehow if Manny Pacquiao pulled that off and won, or it was a draw or something, I think at that point we might be talking about Pacquiao all-time rating higher than Mayweather. And I don't know, at that point, it'd be really, really hard to argue against that, okay? So so the, the jury's still out with Manny, okay? Th- that story is still being told. But um, w- w- with Floyd, guys, first ballot Hall of Famer, no-brainer. Same thing with Klitschko. Same thing with Ward on this particular ballot. A couple other names real quick on the ballot that some of you guys might recognize. Um, Pauli Ayala. Nigel Benn, Timothy Bradley, Ivan Calderon, Joel Casamayor, Diego Corrales is on there, Chris Eubank uh, Sr., Carl Frotch, Leo Gamez, Ricky Hatton's on there, Janeiro Hernandez, Miguel Kessler's on there, um, Rocky Lockridge, Chris John, Rafael Marquez, Darius Mitchkocheski, uh, Sunkil Moon, Michael Moore, Vinny Paz is on there. So um, Antonio Tarver, Meldrick Taylor, I think one day he'll probably get in. Israel Vasquez, Wilfredo Vasquez. So those are just some of the names on the ballot. Just based on the names I gave you guys, I think you can see why I voted for 
who I voted for. All right. We're never going to agree a hundred percent, but I try to at least give my reasons for who I voted for. And so they're just tweeting out, tweeting out the, the ballot like everybody else does. Um, I'm trying to at least give you guys some perspective. So um, I think, I think I got everything out that I wanted to get out, man. I wanted to talk about Canelo. I want to talk about Triple G. I want to talk about Pound for Pound. I want to talk about Hall of Fame. We got all that out. And, um, yeah, I'm good. If you guys have anything else, drop it in the chat real quick. But we're probably going to pinch it off here, man. I hope that you guys have a very, very Merry Christmas and um, Happy New Year. Well, I'll see you before New Year's. But uh, hopefully you guys can be around your families and enjoy it. Um, some of you guys in the chat are really, really mad right now. <laughs> um, Kevin the Carrot asked, does Floyd Mayweather beat a prime Oscar? You know what, dude? At 47, prime for prime, I'm favoring Oscar De La Hoya in that fight. I just am. I'm favoring De La Hoya. Oh, Mr. Wawa in the chat says, Rodriguez versus Gabayo. Any thoughts? Yeah, dude. I'll talk about that on TNC next week. But I think that was the worst robbery of the year. What an absolute fucking robbery. I think it was John Mackey and um, Don Trello were the two judges that just absolutely robbed the Puerto Rican in that fight. Emmanuel Rodriguez clearly won that fight. And I do believe that Gabayo is a PBC fighter that was on a PBC card. That was the house winning the WBC, I think, was had like an interim title in that fight or something. And I copied them in my tweet and to challenge them publicly, hey, man, you guys need to mandate a rematch because that was absolute bullshit. Worst robbery of the year. Um, do I think anything will come with it? Come of it? Probably not, which is really, really sad. But I got to say, man, I was the only media member that I saw on my Twitter feed calling out that, that scorecard and calling out the promotion and the sanctioning organization to do something about it. I don't think anyone is going to, uh, which sucks, which really, really sucks, man. MJB Taco in the chat. Glad I caught this one, Mike. I'm glad you did too, brother. Hope you guys have a great, great Christmas. Uh, we got a couple questions here in the chat. Uh, how, Timmy Turner asked, how do I rank Saunders at 168? Top five. But you guys, I got to say, this won't be a popular opinion. 168 is an incredibly weak division. Those guys are not fighting each other. Until they fight each other and we get some clarity, that's a weak fucking division, man. Overrated in my opinion. Let's see. Uh, Prime Andrew Smith asked, Prime Vladimir Klitschko versus Fury. Prime Vladimir Klitschko with Emmanuel Stewart in his corner. I, I would favor him to beat Fury, but, I get, but guess what, guys? Based on everything that we've seen from Fury since then, that's a damn close fight. The, here's the thing, too. The jury's still out with Tyson Fury. I never rated Deontay Wilder that highly. So his win over Wilder, while it was awesome, we got to see, man. I want to see what he does against Anthony Joshua. If he does that to Anthony Joshua, my opinion's probably going to change on that. Okay? But Fury looked for a way out of that rematch with Vlad. We know what happened there. That was Fury looking for a way out. Uh, let's see. I, there was another question I wanted to get to. Oh, Midwest. No, no, no. no. Who is it? Oh, damn it. I lost it. One of you guys in the chat, I'm sorry, I missed who it was, but one of you guys asked, prime Gennady Golovkin versus the Charlos. Come on. Golovkin wins that fight pretty handedly. All right, guys. I think that's bit. 
Uh, oh, you know what? I lied. Yair H. asks, Mike, have you commented something about Callum Smith biceps tendon displacement? Yes. Uh, sorry. I, I told you. Great, great question because I did overlook that. I forgot to mention it. I should have wrote notes. This is what happens when I don't take notes and I just talk off the cuff. But yes, there was apparently an injury for Smith. Do I think it would have changed the outcome of that fight? No, I don't. Um, Smith being injured, yes, maybe it made it even more one-sided for Canelo. But let me tell you what I noticed in that fight right away. The bigger man was going backward. It's one thing for the whole fight. It's one thing if you back up to set up a shot. If you back up to lure somebody into an uppercut or a hook or something like that, or you're knocking down a jab and coming over with a right, okay. But he was on the back foot the entire night and letting the smaller man push him back and back him up. One of the first things you're going to hear, if you're a tall fighter with long arms and you're sparring, you're early on in your boxing journey and you're sparring for the first time and you're sparring a shorter guy, your coach is going to yell at you if you move backwards. I, I remember first few times I sparred, I had coaches like, why the hell are you backing up? You got long ass monkey arms. What the hell are you backing up for? Push him back. And, you know, that I had to learn that there's times where you do back up to set up shots, but Smith backed up the entire fight. And that wasn't because of an injury. That's because he was in there with such a better fighter. Uh, Canelo's so much smarter, so much better, just in every single way. And even strength-wise, again, I'll repeat it, I think Canelo's probably stronger than Callum Smith. If they were to have an Olympic weightlifting competition, I think Canelo would win. So the height difference looked crazy to the eye, but the actual physical strength difference, I don't think it was really that much. I really, really don't, man. Huge Super Chat pledge from Mickey D. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. You guys are freaking awesome, man. We had some great Super Chats today and some great comments and questions, man. Absolutely. You guys were awesome today, man. Andrew Smith says, Canelo is a stocky midget. So he's a big guy too. Yeah, it's true. Canelo has more of a wrestler's build. He really does. More of an MMA wrestler kind of build. But it works for him in boxing because he has great head movement, great upper body movement. He's able to see punches coming, roll with them, get under them, get around them, and um, get inside of them. So it just works for him, man. Right now, it's going to take a special fighter to beat him. This is not the guy we saw against Floyd Mayweather in 2013 or even against Irizlandi Lara in 2014 or Miguel Cotto in 2015. It's not, this dude's on a different level right now and he deserves credit, guys. All right, I'm going to leave it at that. Guys, awesome chat today, man. We'll do this again. TNC Monday, all right? We got some cool stuff coming into works for TNC. Have a wonderful Merry Christmas and I'll see you guys after the holiday. And, um, yeah, one more time, one more time before the end of the year, good riddance to 2020. I cannot wait to bring on 2021. 2020 has been trash. All right, guys, have a good one.